You know, you're not born a natural salesperson, everybody, but if you want to get better, you can. Edith, I think you've actually gotten worse. But I think what I see a lot of people do is get paralyzed and afraid to try. You have to keep trying stuff until you figure out what works. Hi, I'm Yaron Sadka, sales engineer at Iron.io. You're listening to Road to Growth, a podcast about startup sales organizations brought to you by Heavybit, a nine-month program for developer-facing startups. Road to Growth is a bi-weekly series that breaks down SaaS sales organizations one piece at a time, from the first person to kick off sales at a company, all the way down to the partnership and cohesion with the marketing and product teams, we'll take you through what it takes to build a powerful, fine-tuned sales organization. If you're interested in being a guest, have a topic for us to discuss, or a role you'd like us to dive into, send an email to roadtogrowth at heavybit.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Edith Harbaugh, co-founder and CEO of LaunchDarkly, Edith and I discuss the underlying sales parallels between fundraising, recruiting, and product. Well, we have uh, Edith Harbaugh with us today of Launch Darkly. Welcome, Edith. Thanks, Jaron. Great to have you here. Last time we had Chad Armira, had a great conversation with him about uh, kind of what's been going on at Iron.io for him and, and his team. I'm really excited to have you with us here today. So before we get in, into that, all that good stuff, if you don't mind kind of taking us back to who you are, Right, we know you're the, the co-founder CEO of LaunchDarkly, but how did you get there and what kind of brought you to this point? Great, um, so I'm Edith Harbaugh, I'm CEO and co-founder of LaunchDarkly. We're a developer tool that helps power better continuous delivery. And my background is actually as an engineer. I got a bachelor's in engineering and graduated at the height of the dot-com boom and worked at both as a dot-com consultant and then as an enterprise software company called Epicentric, which is now long gone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I was an engineer in there, and I actually have several patents in deploying components between different developer environments. Uh, after that, I decided that the waterfall m- model was broken, and the issue was that product wasn't right. So I became a product manager. You okay. know, an engineer always thinks that they could fix the world if they're just in the right place. <laughs> right. Uh, and so I became a product manager, and then I realized that I didn't know what I didn't know. Okay. Like, when you're in engineering, you think it's incredibly obvious what you should be building. Once you're in product, you're like, oh, f***. <laughs> when you're an engineer, you think you could fix the world if you're in the right place. Once you're in that other place, you realize that you didn't really see the whole world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in product... At Epicentric, we were acquired by Vignette, and then I started going on customer calls and really saw how enterprise sales worked. After that, I decided consumers had more fun, and I was a product director at TripIt, where I started their TripIt for Business unit from the ground up and grew it to a million dollars. The common thing was that I always wanted to make software a little bit better, and I realized that with a tool like LunchDarkly, everybody could make better releases faster. And so I started the company uh, with my good friend from college, John Kodamal, who'd been an architect at Coverity and a software manager at Atlassian. So you're a relatively young company, and um, you know, so you're young, you're setting a foundation, uh, you're kind of learning a lot as you go. Before, before you have all this money now that you've raised um, with the seed round, right? So congratulations on that. Take us back to when you're first starting, you're, you're building this company, it's the two of you. Um, you know, you want to raise capital so you can actually build this thing. Right. What's that process like? How was it for you and John kind of navigating the waters, doing this for the first time? Yeah, so we, we actually did really well. We raised $2.6 million. The biggest realization for me was that at the beginning, I did not want to raise money. Uh, it was really hard. I wasn't very good at it. And the realization I came to was that if I was a CEO, 
a big part of my job was going to be fundraising. You know, there would be a seed round, an A round, a B round, all the way to hopefully an IPO. And this was part of my job now. Hmm. And the other realization I had was that it's okay to be terrible if you put the effort in to get better. Mm-hmm. So I said I had been an enterprise product manager and I'd gone on sales calls. One of my favorite salespeople was a guy named Rich Gascoigne. And he covered the New York territory, which was the most lucrative. You know, he had Martha Stewart as a client. He had Kaplan as a client. He made a ton of money. He had the whales for you guys. <laughs> yeah, he had the whales. Like, he had all the big New York accounts. And the reason why he had all the whales is because he really needed the money. Okay. So this is a dot-com story. He'd been part of Vignette. And at one time, Vignette stock was over $300. And he'd started to build, you know, his dream house. He bought a really nice car. And he'd done this thing where he hadn't actually sold his options. But his shares basically barred against them because he was trying to get better tax treatment. <laughs> Long story short, dot-com bust happened. Shares that were worth $300 were now worth around $0.75. Cents. Um, he lost the house to the bank, had to move back in with his parents. And on top of that, he owed the government around in the high six figures uh, because he had tried to get a favorable tax treatment on stock that was now pretty much a fraction of the cost. Mm-hmm. A lesser person would have said, I'm going to declare bankruptcy and give up. Rich said, okay, the only way I can make the money back is not by being a product manager, but by becoming a salesperson making a lot of money. So he worked so hard and I learned so much from him. And that was really an inspiration when I started trying to raise money was that, you know, you know you're not born a natural salesperson, everybody. But if you want to get better, you can. So you learned a lot from Rich um, and a lot of time out in the field doing your enterprise sales. Are there any, any tidbits that really stuck with you? So you, you know, you're raising funds, you're talking to all these investors. What kind of pieces were at the top of your mind when you were kind of going through that? I think that I treated it like a sales process. You know, I had my pipeline of different people I talked to. I talked to a lot of different VCs, and it was also a mutual thing. You know, not every investor is the right investor for a company or vice versa. You know, it really is like a sales process. You know, you're, you have your big pipeline and then you're qualifying your leads. Like, is this the right person for my product or the product is your company? Mm-hmm. So, so when you're, you're in the room with investors then, right, you, you know, everybody knows you have a deck, you kind of talk and go back and forth, but what's that really like? You know, what's that process like for you since you are selling? Uh, that's a great question because I'd say the pitch with the investor is just the beginning. And this is something that I hadn't realized you know, the movies glamorize it by you drive down to Sandhill Road and you pitch <laughs> in this big room full of investors. That's actually like the really end when you have a partner meeting. Okay. Like the beginning is you meet with an investor for a half hour coffee, you know, or an hour coffee and you chat, you might have a deck, you might not. If they like you, then they'll go into due diligence. And this is again, like a sales process because everybody's due diligence is different. And due diligence basically means they're trying to see, they're trying to vet you in the company and see if there's something there. So some investors will have you talk to their current portfolio companies. Others will want to talk to your current customers. Okay. Uh, You know, others will want you to talk to technical experts in your field. It's basically because, uh, so Tom Drummond put it really well. He's like, the investors have money, but they don't always know enough to thoroughly understand what you're doing. Correct. Correct. There's still a learning process there for them. They, know, they have their little market segments, right, that they at least understand the general market, but they don't know individual products, right? And so now you need to educate them on what it is that you're filling and, and the kind of need in the market that you're going to be hopefully capturing and, and succeeding at, right? 
So it's it's very much like a sales process. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like we're, <laughs> we're, we're the, invis- the initial partner that you pitch is then your champion. Exactly, exactly. And, and you're starting to use the terminology, right? Just like the way we do in, in the sales world is you need the champion to kind of like take you home and, and bring you through the whole process. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just like you guys in, the, in fundraising, hey, you're our champion, you believe in us, you know what we're trying to sell and, and kind of taking that all the way to the end until you actually raise that money, which is great. Uh, and it kind of, there's a lot of parallels there between the two. So what kind of pieces when you're pitching investors do you kind of translate now into, into the sales world? Well, they're, they're hand in hand, you know, you have your, you have your champion, you know, every, every product has to have somebody that says this will make me look better. You know, this will make me look better. This will save my company money. This will save me time or this will just improve our life. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's the same when you actually have selling the product. Um, so the first thing is the product of your company, and then you know, basic the product is your product. Right. So you're now going through with you know talking to all these investors. You have your pipeline down. You have your initial meeting with them. Right. What what happens then? Um, you know they kind of take you through. How do they? You know, is it your responsibility to talk to them after that? Is it their responsibility to then be like, hey, you know, we don't? Is this like an interview, right? Or is this more of you driving driving the process? Uh, so I got really good advice from Tom Drummond, who's the managing director here at Heavybit, which was I had this notion that, you know, if, if an investor wanted to invest, you just kind of waited them. And he's like, no, investors are really busy. You know, they're probably hearing 50 or 60 pitches a week. And that's not even counting the random ones with like if they accidentally wear a hoodie outside. <laughs> people just pitch them at the store. Right. You know, so he's like, you got to, you know, he's like, drive it like a sales process. And I'm like, OK, I could do that. So did you have like a whole Excel like built out with, oh, yeah. with who you're talking to, oh, yeah. what, what VC they were with? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I had a, I treat it like a pipeline. Right. So it's bringing back like all these flashbacks of just like, oh, man, late nights and, uh, you know, constantly refining the pitch that you guys are giving. Oh, the pitch. Oh, the pitch changed so many times. I treated it like um, so I'm really into lean startup stuff. Okay. And again, I think what helped me the most was I'm just like, okay, I'm going to be terrible. That's fine. I will keep being terrible until I get better. Mm hmm. Because uh, I think people have this misguided notion that you're like born with this perfect pitch, right? Yeah. Just like, if only. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, and I was perfectly willing to admit, I'm like, okay, I'm not very good at this right now. You know, I, I I'm gonna keep pitching until I get better. So you essentially employed continuous delivery on your pitches and just kind of kept refining them. Yeah, and it wasn't a linear path either. Like there was a point where um, <laughs> my co-founder John is like, Edith, I think you've actually gotten worse. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and he's like, I think you've tried it. You know, he's like, you've degraded. I'm like, yeah. and what, so what, what was that like? I mean, he's telling you that you're, you're now putting a pitch out there that he thinks is not as good as it was before. How did that kind of like, Oh, it hurt. Yeah. But uh, again, um, I draw parallels back to lean startup and as well, uh, I'm a big runner, you know, I okay. do a hundred mile races and you have to keep trying stuff until you figure out what works. And so, you know, you're constantly iterating and, and going through all this stuff. Um, did you did you finally figure like, oh, there's this one that's stuck or is it still like living and breathing, but you have your basic foundations kind of underneath that? I have the basic foundations, but it is just like sales. You will find the right customer for your product mm-hmm. and vice versa. So you tailored your pitches and, and your discussions based on the VCs that you were talking to and, and their knowledge of, of what was going on. And then I found the people that really got it. I mean, it's just like, you know, when you're selling... You yeah, know, you're a salesperson. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, like when you go try to sell your product to, you know, um, just a random person riding the Muni. Right, right. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's software, right? The first question is you, you kind of have to figure out who they are and where they're coming from. Uh, and once you have that knowledge, then you can, you can tailor it, right? So um, at least for myself, I have three or five different pitches that yeah. I can discuss with somebody depending on their knowledge of the industry, their knowledge of technology at the current state. And depending on all that information, I, I either go with something very layman and, and very basic or something that's very drawn out and very specific because that's the kind of person they are, right? So um, yeah, it, you know, there's always the, the core pieces to every pitch, but there's the, the nuances that go above that kind of one level a little higher yeah. uh, that you can kind of segment out depending on who you're talking to. So, so you're fundraising, you learn this kind of like sales technique for it. And now looking back at that, right, as you kind of like it's over, it's done with, what are kind of like two or three pieces you can pick from there and say like, I did that really well, I'm going to continue to do that with clients. Uh, I did that really well, I'm going to continue to do that with clients here. Uh, are, are there two or three different things you can pick out from there? I think the biggest is, again, um, I mean, not deliberately being not good, but I think what I see a lot of people do is get paralyzed and afraid to try. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, oh, my pitch isn't going to be very good. Therefore, I'm not going to pitch. So then are you constantly picking up the phone and talking to clients and and trying it out? Yeah. Taking this back to um, investors and all that, right? Um, Now you're you're building a company, right? you're, you're starting to now hire employees, grow things out. Um, so you, you re, you're essentially recruiting, right? Which is also now in a sale, uh, if you think about it. So, you know, kind of take that, take us down that path now. And, and instead of selling investors, you now need to sell, sell your hires on the company and, and why they should join you. So they're both sales, but they're very different kind of sales. What you're pitching when you're pitching investors, you're pitching a vision. Okay. Like, so an investor is not buying, you know, an investor is not investing based on what you are today. They're investing based on the fact that you'll be a 10x, 100x success. So like if I put, you know, a million in now, it'll be worth 10 million, 50 million. So you're, pitch, you're pitching this huge vision of how you're going to change the world of software. When you're trying to recruit an employee, that's a necessary thing. But what an employee really cares about is, is this the right place for me? Mm-hmm. Like, is this going to be the place where I'm happy, where my career goes forward, where I have the, you know, and everybody has a little different thing that makes them happy. Right. So I'd say the vision is important because there's so many, everybody's recruiting, but it's not really about the vision and the money because, you know, everybody in the, in San Francisco right now seems to have raised more you know, <laughs> millions of dollars and is bidding. But it, I, I think the most important thing for recruiting is really listening to recruits and what's important to them. So what, uh, you know, when you're talking to recruits and you're, and you're kind of doing the active listening part, um, are there any things that come up more often than others that they, you know, usually want to hear, right? Everybody wants to grow in their career. Um, are there any that you've heard that you've kind of been like, you know, this is a great place for you because of that? I, I think the most important thing is uh, every, one of, every one of the people that works with us, I know they had a lot more money on the table from somewhere else. Okay. Um, so how'd you guys overcome that? Right? Like Google's like, Hey, I'll give you a quarter million dollars or more. Or, sure. Or more. I mean, if, especially if you're hiring seniors that are, are great, great employees. So every person was different. So what I did is I always sit and I would ask them what's important to you. Oh, so you flat out just said, what, what are you looking for? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we, <laughs> I mean, we talked about this before, you know, yeah. you don't know until you ask. No, that's, I mean, and that's a totally a valid point, right? A lot of people, um, are scared to ask questions, right? Or, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to make this uncomfortable or something like that, right? And uh, we, I, at least me personally, I got into the room and I had the same 
mind frame when I first started. And then it kind of became a thing like, just ask the question. Yeah. Right. They can always give you a, a terrible answer or like kind of sidestep it. But usually people are willing to offer that information right away uh, with no qualms about it. So it's it's this mentality you kind of have to get used to um, of just asking the question and seeing what happens. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and, and I think there's this mythology that the best salespeople are like in Glengarry, Glen Ross, these fast talkers, these slick people who talk you into something. Yeah. But I mean, if you've seen the movie, like everybody, they didn't sell any land. Everybody wanted their money back. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I know the story. Wait. Yeah. How can you be a sales? <laughs> no, everything. I, all right. There are so many good lessons from Glengarry, Glen Ross. I haven't seen it in its entirety. I've seen like little portions, uh, and I know all the the little like sales uh, clips, right? Like coffees for closers is a is a big one that everybody always talks about in sales. And there's all these uh, other ones, but I have never actually sit, sat down and seen the movie in its entirety. Well, and, uh, <laughs> the, the the best line that really helped me when I was fundraising mm-hmm. was um, there's this line uh, where Alex Baldwin is giving this lecture, and he says, "They don't walk on the lot." unless they want to buy. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that, that really helped me when I was fundraising. Was, you know, I, I had this idea that you know, I would just sit back and people would throw money at me, and that wasn't happening. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tom Drummond is like, no, you have to follow up. And I'm like, oh, I yeah. can do that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, yeah. Um, but So there's this perception that you have to be this slick talker like that movie. Mm-hmm. And really, when you're trying to get people to join your company to be part of a team, what you really need to do is listen. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's, it's very important to listen. And I know, at least for me, uh, I try to let the client talk as much as, as they want uh, and just sit there and wait until they're done to ask the, either the next question or, or continue the conversation. Because a lot of times it's, it's more about um, what they are trying to communicate and nobody's listening to them. Uh, and this way, all I have to do is, is sit there until they're done. And whether I actually listen or not, it doesn't matter. They feel heard. Uh, and then we can continue the conversation. So um, it's definitely, you know, drawing that back to recruiting and, and listening to your employees and, or hopefully potential employees and what they want um, is, is great advice or, or great kind of like pick from that information, right? So sales and recruiting, yeah, you, they might be different, but you're still selling. Yeah. Um, there's still parallels to be drawn from that. So, um, yeah. And it goes back to selling because you could be, you know, rambling on and on about how you have like 24-7 uptime, but what they really, a customer really <laughs> cares about is like, you know, what does your dashboard look like or, you know, right. you, you know something <laughs> completely different. Right. Is your billing all integrated? Am I going to be overbilled and have to call you every month in order to get a credit on my credit card statement? <laughs> like, yeah. Which is the most aggravating thing you could possibly do <laughs> to a client. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think a lot of good selling is... Um, is, is listing. And that's actually a little bit of the reverse from fundraising and pitching, which I had to learn was I, I was actually, <laughs> I, I learned I was actually very good at selling in a listing mode, but what I really had to work on was pitching a vision because mm-hmm. I had to fall in back on what I was very good at is the, act, the listing. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, if I need to fundraise, I actually have to talk about a vision, not just listen to the VC ramble about Right. What's going on in their life? <laughs> Which would be nice, but uh, unfortunately now it's the, the spotlight's on you, as they say, right? And you kind of have to do the, do the sell. So, you know, are there any positions that you found are, are harder to recruit for or anything like that? Is are there, you know, the more senior engineers, are they, do they require more time and, and like energy from you? Uh, the biggest one is mobile, and I think that's just because mobile is so hot. Mm-hmm. And we, we have a very specialized need. We want somebody that's going to build mobile continuous delivery, which is groundbreaking and revolutionary. Awesome. 
No, that's, I mean, that sounds exciting. So, um, yeah, like what's that, what's that process been like? Are you, um, are you talking to people? Is it hard to find people for that kind of position? It's a role where I think there's not many people who can do it. So that's the okay. issue. So not a lot of people you're competing. What, like, are there pieces that you feel LaunchDuckly can compete at, right? So taking money off the table, what's kind of the benefit of working at LaunchDuckly over some large Fortune 100 company? Well, your own, the benefit for everybody is different. <laughs> I mean, if you had like, if you had a, a senior person in front of you that you're like, man, if, if I could only get them to work here, right? I, there's usually kind of like different. Well, I, I would start by saying, hey, well, first I would say, okay, why are they even in front of me? Mm-hmm. And then that goes back to, they don't come on the lot unless they want to buy. Right. So the fact that they're meeting with me means they're somewhat interested. Okay. You know, if they're not interested, people are busy. Right. Right. Like it's, yeah. the, it's the same when we were talking about prospecting earlier. It's like if people don't pick up the phone and answer unless they're somewhat willing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that means that there's definitely some sort of connection that they feel. So So if I had this, this person in front of me, I would say, hey, you know, I'm interested to know why you're interested in a new thing. Right. So why are you looking? What's like, what's the draw essentially of, of coming to work for us? You have all these great opportunities. What, what are you doing here? What are you well, doing here? Not, not, in the, not in those words, but uh, you know, in, it, it's that, the dreaded question every employee hates to answer is like, why are you interested in us? Right? Yeah, and, that, like, and that's why you don't put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you, you have a better way of navigating the waters, I take it. Yeah, you say, you know, you, know, you, you say you're very skilled, you, you seem like a really talented person. I'm interested in knowing more about what you're interested in. Okay. Good. <laughs> like, like you, you don't, you don't want to sound like, please. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. Can we just give you an offer and call it a day? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the same when you're selling software. Yeah. You don't really, like, please use your software. Right. I need to make my quota. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, what's funny is, uh, it, it's never, at least for now, it's never come down to quota for me. Uh, and I think that might be because I'm a sales engineer and not a full salesperson, but, uh, I rarely hate using the quota as a reason to sell somebody something. Uh, and I don't know if you've experienced that on, on your own, but uh, using using the quota to kind of sell is is the worst way to get a customer. Well, because that's what I mean. I'm like, okay, so now I sold you software, and it's not going to work for you, which means you're going to be mad. And now my guys are going to have to deal with it, and they're going to be mad, and nobody wins, but the company gets like a couple hundred bucks, and, and we call it a day. Well, well, that, well that, <laughs> that, 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 that's why the whole selling process is really is they're finding out is there a mutual fit. Mm-hmm. Like to go back to the to the fundraising and to the hires, like if they say what's really important to me is, you know, something I'm like, oh, we can't meet that need. Yeah. Um, okay. So so taking that now, so you have fundraising down. We have we have hires down. As you as you grow, right? This this company's growing. It's going to be doing great things. How do you find a way to stay tied to the product uh, and your vision along with John's versus letting it kind of consume you and and like. You're, you're so focused on your CEO role, right, that you've kind of left it in, in other people's hands. I think that's a great question. And I, I read a really good blog post by Paul Graham pretty recently. And he said startup people aren't motivated by money. Mm-hmm. This is a long way to get to your answer. <laughs> sure. That's um, fine. If you want to make a lot of money, there's a lot easier way to do it than a startup. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think we both know that. <laughs> And he said, great startup people are usually motivated because this is their project. And, right. uh, and, and that's the way I feel is, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of success in my life 
You know, I, I took two company, two products from literally zero to over a million dollars in sales. I bicycled cross country. I ran a hundred miles. Separate things. Didn't bicycle and then run. That would be, <laughs> <laughs> I, that would be pretty impressive. Uh. <laughs> um, but now I, I, I want to change the way people build software. So it's, it's not really, I didn't say I want to be a CEO. I said I want to change the way people build software. That, I think that's a, a big reason why a lot of us are doing what we do. Um, you know, we see, we see the world as it, is, as it is today and we know the capabilities of what can be done. And it's, it's not aggravating, but it's almost a little frustrating to us at how things are done. And we want to go out there and change it. And sure, we could go you know, make all this money and, and live nice and comfortably, but uh, there's, there's more to it than that. And I think you touched on that, which is like building great software and helping the people around us um, do the same. Uh, and the the final endpoint, right, wherever it reaches, is the best it can be for what it is today. So, with that, thank you very much, Edith, for joining us. We appreciate the time. A lot of great information from Edith over her time um, so far running LaunchDarkly and from fundraising to hiring and and kind of what she's gone through. Um, so, thank you again. Uh, thanks for having me, Yaron. That's all we have time for today. Questions? Feedback? contact me at roadtogrowth at heavybit.com. Thanks again to Heavybit for sponsoring our program. To learn more about Heavybit's nine-month program for developer-facing startups, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, make sure to check out their library. It's packed with great educational talks from developer company founders and industry leaders. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.